When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast. My name is Jonathan and this is episode 17, Resistance. Last week we talked about how Romans invaded, conquered, and started to dominate Southeast England, even over the revolts of people that existed there and some of the tribes like the Iceni who weren't necessarily always in love with the Roman ideas about rule. And the Romans, I think, had it not been for the fact that the later revolts would prove so vexing, would likely have kept the client kingdoms that they had with the Brigantes and the uh, Iceni, amongst others, because those would have allowed them to sort of still have control, but not actually be in charge of those particular areas. But as we'll see, they proved to be so vexing that the Romans have to take them over and have to deal with them. Because basically you can't leave an enemy at your back, and that's what they've done, effectively. Uh, Now, it'll all be self-inflicted, let's be honest, but nonetheless, that's what we find in this circumstance. With the southern trade routes protected previously, as they sent a future emperor, Vespasian, to control and take care of those areas, the Roman trade with Britain was now under control. Next... They took on their greatest enemy, Caractacus, and defeated him and finally captured and took him prisoner and held their triumph of glory over his defeat. That must have felt like they were finally completely secure in their situation. For Rome, they probably felt at peace at that point, and had they thought that, they were sadly mistaken. Uh, The next 10 years, in fact, from 51 AD until at the very least 61 AD, they had nothing but trouble. And most of the trouble begins and ends in Wales. And it's actually predominantly the Ordovice and the Silures who proved to be the most difficult and most vexing during that period. After the Boudicca Revolution, though, there will still be more trouble on the horizon, and it won't be until another nearly 25 years before Rome really gets control of the hinterland in Wales to the point where they're no longer really threatened by an organized revolt or rebellion. Uh, As we said last week, the Brigantes and the Deca Angle at one point kind of united for a bit to try and take on the Romans. But typically that wasn't normal. For whatever reason, the the British and and Tacitus thinks it just comes down to the fact that they they didn't want to work together. But one of the biggest hindrances to the British tribes was their inability to actually work together to coordinate. And this may come out of the fact that they didn't necessarily feel they had to 
work together. They may have had sort of tribal arrangements. You know, we'll come in and help you, but we don't want to be controlled by you. Sort of along the lines of the way, I mean, if you think about it from sort of a modern standpoint, the way uh, things are happening over the last little bit in Syria, wherein you have all sorts of interests fighting, none of whom are fighting for the other interests involved. And yet, if they had united, they could have defeated the group they're trying to fight a whole lot easier. Now, of course, in this case, we're talking ISIS, who is not exactly on the level of the Roman Empire. But that idea of having a bunch of different tribes attacking Rome, but never coordinating, never uniting enough to actually spearhead a major attack, is a problem until Boudicca. Boudicca, really, other than Caractacus, is the only other tribal leader that will actually unite a bunch of tribes in trying to deal with Rome. And in both cases, they fail, but both had success at different points. And in the case of the Welsh tribes, particularly the Silures, who will be the thorn in the side of the Romans for almost 10 years, uh, they're well known for being wild, for being hard to deal with. Tacitus describes them as you cannot do anything to get them to do what you want. You can't torture them. You can't treat them. You can't do anything. They just, they're always the way they are, and that's the way they are going to be. And because of that, he respects them, of course, and treats them as sort of an idyllic thing, because they are the one of the few that actually gives Rome a bloody nose on their own. And they do actually make life miserable for the Romans during that period. Uh, in fact, one of the first instances that Tacitus brings up after the great victory over Cartacus uh, is that legions near South Wales are attacked. Uh, these legions had to retreat, in fact, because they had to go protect the newly established communities. Because effectively what was happening is, as we've described before, the, the British tribes aren't attacking Rome straight up, one-on-one, -on -one, you throw your best against my best and we'll see who wins because they know if they do that, the Romans will beat them. The Romans have proven this time and time again, even when the Roman troops are obviously ensnared in a trap, their organization, their tactical understanding, their strategic backing is such that it's very difficult to pin them down. And their general doggedness means that you can't just expect them to retreat or surrender when you have them, in quotes, defeated. So the British tribes have basically tried to turn this into Vietnam. They're trying to turn this into a, a war which the, the, they don't win any battles, but they make it so costly that the Romans have to rethink things. And in fact, during Nero's day, as I've said previously, they actually consider it. They actually consider marching out because of how costly and how tedious and how troublesome this new province has been for them. Uh, it's only, well, according to, to those that recorded it in the time period, uh, it was suggested that it was because of the shame it would have brought Claudius's memory that Nero didn't pull out. There's also a lot of suspicion that there'd been a lot of coin spent in order to take this thing, and there wasn't a lot of willingness to suddenly turn around. I also think you, you're talking about a massive amount of trade you're giving up. So I think for the Romans, the self-interest took over and kept them in it. I mean, in a lot of ways, 
there's a lot of correlations between that and, say, Iraq, where the American troops entered, faced a lot of problems, couldn't really deal with them properly, couldn't train the local troops well enough to deal with it themselves, and so thus just had to keep a military presence there all the time. So there wasn't this sense of, okay, this is over. It's like, oh, no, it's not over. We're still continuing. And in the case of the Silures, they certainly weren't about to give up. And in fact, I would argue none of the Welsh tribes were really prepared to put up with the Romans in any way, shape, and form at this point. And they did everything they could to try and defeat them. Uh, the only problem we have with the Silures is we don't know much about them. And, and this is actually pretty true of most of the Welsh tribes up until after they're defeated. We don't learn about their leaders. We don't learn about their organization. We know from archaeology there were hill forts in the area because those were used as obviously as protective places. Uh, going back to the idea that the borderlands between, even at that point between England and Wales, were a, a land where there was raiding and fighting because there were all these hill forts around. Whereas, you know, the southeast of England was already peaceable, which is probably why they were easier to take over for the Romans. But when you have a group that's already well-versed in fighting, knows and understands the territory better than you do, it's a lot harder to take, needless to say. And I think that's the biggest thing we learn in this situation is that you can't just assume that because you have better trained troops, you have better equipment, you're more technologically advanced, that if you go into an area you don't really understand with people you don't understand, who don't speak your language, who don't have your customs, who don't believe in the same ideas as you do, and fight completely different than you expect, it becomes a nightmare. And for the Romans, this was a nightmare. Britain, at this stage, instead of being the breadbasket and the place that it will become where it's a key point for the Roman Empire, at this point, it's just a nuisance. And so the frustration is definitely in the sources. You can tell that there's a level of, oh my gosh, again about it. And I think that aspect is, is fascinating to, to read. And I, I think you could get a lot of similar feelings of what modern commanders think when they enter these kind of circumstances to what the Romans thought at that point, where really we have to deal with this again. It's not over, even though we squashed it. It just, it's, it's like that, you know, that mole game where you smack one side, he appears in another, smack one other side and he appears. And that's a lot of what this is. So if you're not big on military history, I apologize. The next couple of episodes are going to be pretty military heavy. The last one was as well. That's because our sources at this point are actually covering this almost year to year. So you're getting a lot of information. And it's a fascinating way to look at the land at that time and to understand the differences between people in this in Britain. You know, even at that point, there's a massive cultural difference between the East and the West. And there's a divide there that has been built up over the last couple hundred years coming from cultural exchange. And so these groups definitely have a different experience, a different way of living. And because of that, it creates the problems that the Romans run into. Funnily enough, at the end of the day, the Romans, for all that they say that's nice, like Tacitus talks up the Britons quite often and, you know, talks about them as being better than the Gauls, as I've said before, because he thinks the Gauls are lazy now because they're all Romanized. Whereas the Britons at this point weren't Romanized, so thus they were still held to a higher standard. But at the same time, he then turns around by the other hand and basically compares them 
to the concept of uh, they're fearless unless there's something to be feared, <laughs> which is really weird. Like like his description of this idea that that both the Gauls and the Britons are basically these people who are completely without fear. They'll do all sorts of crazy stuff. And yet, if they get into a point where the battle's really hard, they'll run away. I think that's a misunderstanding of the tactics of the British and probably the Gauls, to be honest. I think it wasn't a case of necessarily running away. I think there was a case of, how about we live to fight another day rather than getting squashed by the Romans? Because at the end of the day, if you realize that you're losing and you know that you can fade into the background, you can go into the marshes, into the woodlands, and get away from a group that has to march together and has armor, if you can run because you're lesser equipped so you have the ability to flee easier, if you have woodlands that you, and a territory that you know by the back of your hand because you've lived there your entire life and the other person doesn't, then the advantage of fleeing in the wrong circumstances makes so much sense. You want to get away rather than being totally squashed. And that's part of the reason why these tribes remain a problem, because they're willing to run. They're willing to live to fight another day. They're willing to not go in for that one you know, decisive battle that's going to end everything, because they know that if they get caught in that circumstance, they've had enough experience with the Romans to know that doesn't end well for them. So they have, by their very nature, aggressively tried to sting hurt and periodically destroy the Romans and then run away before they get caught. And the Silurians just seem to be masters of this. I mean, at one point they catch, they catch some of these legions that are trying to protect the Sivatas back in England. They hit them hard enough that they actually fight. And, and the way Tacitus describes it, it sounds like they fought for the better part of a day where they fought from more or less sun up to sundown. And through that point, you know, he describes the casualties of the the Silurius to be very small, but the casualties of the Romans to be quite extreme. Uh, he mentions the fact that the camp prefect and eight centurions were killed. And much like, you know, if somebody says, well, one general and eight colonels were killed, the likelihood is they're not always going to be leading from the front. Sometimes they are. But the likelihood is if they're dead, it's because the other troops around them got slaughtered. So likely it, it was a massive loss of life for the Romans at this point. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. 
Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. And because of that, the Silures get away having created a massive trouble for the Romans. And it's at this point that the Romans realize, okay, peace has not come. We cannot relax. We need to now deal with this problem. And they try and fight them some more. And Tacitus, as I said, points out at this point that had the tribes of Britain actually combined and fought together, they would have actually made life miserable for the Romans. But because they don't, there isn't enough of them at any one time to actually be decisive in their victories. They just basically harry the Romans for the most part. They don't destroy what the Romans have or what the Romans are doing. So in a way, they're kind of the authors of their own destruction because of their own way of life. Because really, unless they can organize together, much like the Native American tribes fighting the colonial invasions in the 14 and 1500s, you can't fight that if there isn't enough of you. And the more of them there are, the more difficult it's going to be for you. And so in this case, it's kind of the same circumstance. The difference is they weren't dealing with some settlers. They were dealing with hardened, trained, well-fought Roman legions that, yeah, they can hit them and punch them in the nose and, and knock them out maybe even they still aren't going to completely defeat them because at the end of the day, their training and their understanding of the way that they fight is such that it's not built around the individual, it's built around the whole. So if the whole is destroyed, then they collapse. But if there's still enough of them to continue that whole, they'll continue to fight. And that's effectively what happens. And the fighting styles of the two sides become obviously different they're obviously struggling to deal with the Silurians, but the Silurians are more like a gnat than like an actual like bear. 
you know, they're giving them heavy losses. They've caused them misery and trouble. But the reality of it is they're just one tribe and they're just really poking at the Midland area and the southwest areas, which aren't really controlled areas anyway. They're not breaking out and fighting in Roman well-held lands. And because of that, they're not hitting what amounts to the soft underbelly of Rome. They're hitting at the hardened front line. That's their struggle. And eventually, that will become the problem, because while you can fight these guerrilla warfare for a while, and maybe even for a very long time, you can't sustain it long term as a winning strategy. It has to come with other options, be it regular military that's well-trained, be it the development of tactics which work better than just a guerrilla movement, and if you can't cut off the supplies, which was the big problem. One of the keys is, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, is that the Romans had secured the trade routes. The routes from Gaul to Britain were secure because Vespasian had captured everything from Exeter east. And so they had access to the sea, so they were continually being resupplied, continually receiving new troops, and the Britons, for whatever reason, never really attacked those. It wouldn't even be until Boudicca, ten years later almost, that you have this rising up of people who are attacking the civilian population and the population that isn't prepared and are able to wage a war of terror effectively. But that only happens because of the Silures and the Ordevice distracting the Roman troops and pulling them into Wales. Because without the Welsh, Britons causing a lot of misery and making the Romans go, okay, we have to deal with this. We have to put a stop to this. We have to overcome this. What happens with Boudicca doesn't happen. To finish up, let's talk a little bit about what the Ordevice did and the battles that they fought with the Romans, because what ends up happening is is that the Silures go on for a while. Eventually, they seem to calm down. Now, the Roman sources always seem to make it seem like they beat them. There isn't any evidence of this. The only evidence that we have is that eventually the Second Augustan Legion will end up in what amounts to the homeland of the Silures. It will be based in what will eventually become the place we now know as Carleon. And this area is not going to happen for a while yet, and it doesn't happen in the beginnings of the Roman settlement and Roman control of Wales. This is something that happens eventually, once that area has basically been pacified, to use a more modern words. And the reality of it is, is the Silures were still being, uh, again, according to Tacitus, so take this for a grain of salt, you know, he says that part of the reason why the Silures were so resistant to the Romans was because they were fired up because, and again, it's a bit like, to use a sports analogy, like bulletin board material, the Romans, there's rumors running that one of the Roman generals shot his mouth off. A former tribe in Gaul called the Sagrambri uh, had been destroyed. So too would the Silures be destroyed and they would be blotted out. And this apparently drove their anger. And like I said, it's a bit of bulletin board material. It's it's one of these situations where maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Uh, but 
obviously there was enough evidence to say this that it does make me wonder if at some point uh, somebody had talked to the Silurians and said, well, why were you fighting so hard? What was the big deal? And they're like, well, you, your own generals were saying we're going to be destroyed. We're going to be blotted out. There will be none of us left. So what? why wouldn't we fight? I mean, anytime you're in a situation where it, it's it's like that idea, as long as somebody thinks they have a chance to live, they're probably more than likely going to go along with those that are they're fighting against, you know, if they've been kidnapped or all sorts of things. It's the moment that they realize they have no hope that people start to do very dangerous, very scary things because they're trying to do anything they can to live. And if that's the case, then in the case of the Silurius, that's exactly what it is. If you're being told, hey, we're going to wipe you out and there's not going to be anything left and all that, you know, we're going to basically do to you what happened to the Jews in, in, you know, 10 years later, 10, 15 years later, where you have an utter destruction of a city. You have the entire population, and entire in quotes in this case, uh, moved out of that territory, slaves created, women raped, children stolen. All of that stuff happens. Well, of course, the men are going to say, well, hang on, we're going to fight. We're going to make sure we don't lose. Because if that's what's going to happen to us, why do we want to entreat with the Romans? Interestingly enough, eventually this will all die down. And like I said, the Silurians will calm down and something will go on and we'll have peace. Now, this is where the rumor mill goes. And, and a lot of historians believe that the Romans didn't do what they say. The Romans say that they achieved peace by defeating the Silurians, but there's no record of them actually defeating. There's no story and in a period where there's a lot of writing, because, period, you know, I mean, we have Tacitus writing all the way through this period. We have Cassius Dio or Dio Cassius writing. You have uh, Suetonius writing. You know, that's three heavyweights of literary Roman history. And yet we don't have any evidence of the Silures basically falling before the Romans in a great defeat or effectively being destroyed. Now, what could have happened? Maybe their their chief was killed and finally somebody said to them, hey guys, we're not going to wipe you out. And then they started to negotiate. And when you negotiate, then you get to peace. And as we know from the Romans, they like, you know, whenever they win, regardless of how that win is achieved, they like to talk about it like they won a big victory. We see this with Augustus when he gets the Crassan eagles back the standards he negotiated that that was a peace treaty between him and the parthians but yet he acts like it was a great victory you know it wasn't hey we got these things back that were stolen from us woohoo yay it was hey we fought for the honor of crassus and we gave him back his honor by capturing these back from the parthians so now let's have a triumph and celebrate this great military victory that had nothing to do with the military victory. And I suspect, and I think a lot of historians suspect that that's what happened with the Silurians. There isn't necessarily a massive agreement or a massive understanding defeat or battle. It's more about the fact that eventually all the sides stopped running around like chickens with their heads cut off, stopped saying things that were inflammatory, stopped believing all the rumors and started to actually negotiate, and eventually they came to a peace treaty. Now, it's a peace treaty that was 
put in effect with a very protective military force. Uh, you don't put a legion in the Siluri's territory if you believe that they're going to be peaceful. As we've said before, that there are uh, Welsh, Roman Britons who are over in the Pembrokeshire area who remained peaceful apparently throughout the entire Roman settlement of Britain. And because of that, they don't have forts, they don't have legions, they barely have one Roman road that goes into them. And when you look at the map of Roman Britain, you can see that Wales is covered with forts, fortlets, lookout posts, Roman roads everywhere. You know, they, they, they protected everything they feasibly could that wasn't in a mountain to try and make sure that they controlled the area. And the fact that they put such emphasis on this area in South Wales means that they were trying to keep it. And to be fair, you can understand why. There's a lot of minerals wealth there. There's a lot of good farmland there. There's a lot of things that make that area enticing for someone who is trying to control a major port and a major area around the Severn Estuary. So you have good reason to want this territory. And it's probably what made the Siluri so difficult was because it was good land. It was well protected. You know, there's mountain passes and other things you have to deal with if you're going to really deal with them. Because if they go into the valleys, they're going to get away from you. And that's the big problem. So fundamentally, the Romans knew this. And eventually, like I said, they'll put enough effort there to control it. So the Siluri's at this stage, a little later down the road... Basically, what the historians think is about 74 AD is about the last time the Silures are a problem for the uh, for the Romans, and that's why there's no more real commentary about them as being a problem. Now, the Ordovis are going to be a whole different matter, and they actually will be the key to why the Boudican Revolt becomes so bad. On top of this, and I think one of the things that the Romans have come to a conclusion about at this point is that the Druids are bad and they need to be dealt with. And when a new governor comes to Roman Britain, which we'll talk about in the next episode, he will have concluded that the only way to put a stop to this is to wipe out the Druids. And we'll talk about that in more depth next episode. So until next time, see you later. This has been a Distractions Media production. For more information, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.